Welcome to Changing Your Dreams, Parenting a Child with Special Needs, a podcast where we shine a light on the unique grief of special needs parents that few people recognize and no one really talks about. I'm your host, Laura Kitts. How do we live a beautiful life with chronic stress and grief? How do we nurture ourselves while we nurture our children? How do we make ourselves a priority when they need so much? My guests and I will discuss this chronic, ever-renewing grief, transforming your dreams, and how to take care of yourself along the way when parenting a differently abled child. This episode is sponsored by Flight Club. Join a circle of friends who understand you and your life as a special needs parent. Combine that with monthly guest experts, live self-care accountability sessions with me, and easy, actionable assignments to help you emerge from the hard work, transformed, just as the butterfly from her chrysalis, and you've got Flight Club. Welcome to the fourth episode in our sibling series. Today we talk to Bridgette Heller. Bridgette grew up with a sister who had cerebral palsy, epilepsy, and was deaf, and who has since passed away. She now has children who have their own needs, including a son with autism and ADHD. Bridgette is an adventure-seeking, curious soul whose true passion resides with those who feel on the outside of normal or trendy, but want to live a full life with all the happiness involved. These are her people. She is them, and she believes that life on the outside is beautiful. She leads a group called The Strong and Capable to help others find their way there. Let's get to it. Thank you for joining me today. Um, You have a really unique story that um, I appreciate you being willing to share with my audience. So can you just get started by telling us about your um, family when you were growing up? Okay, so I am the oldest of seven kids, right? There's a lot of us. I made a Um, face. I made a a, face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm the oldest of seven, five girls, two boys, and uh, my youngest sibling right now, I think, just turned 21. It's kind of hard to keep track. I can't keep track of my kids' ages, let alone my siblings. (laughs) But um, so there's a pretty big gap in there for all of us because, you know, it takes years to have seven kids. And um, yeah, so my sibling right under me had cerebral palsy and uh, death. I was in a wheelchair because of CP um and epilepsy and she we were 17 months apart and then after that you know there's kind of two years three years uh, in between all the kids but because we were so close my sister and I were very close so we moved all over my dad um was in the air force for the first part of my life and so you know every year or so new place new I've lived everywhere on the west coast California Oregon Montana is not on the west coast but (laughs) Oregon Alaska Montana, Utah, I'm in Arizona currently, so I know the West Coast very well. Wow, that's um, a, and, that's, yeah. that is a lot. That is just a lot, no matter what. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking of your mother, you know, like that's a lot just to move that much period. I mean, even if it's just you and your spouse or, you know, maybe a couple of kids, but holy cow, seven children moving mm-hmm. every year or so. Um that alone is just a lot to unpack for a kid. And so then, as you said, you have this sister who's just 17 months younger than you, who has cerebral palsy in a wheelchair and in epilepsy, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so what was your relationship like with your sister? You said you were really close. And then what about mm-hmm. all the rest of your siblings? How was, what was the dynamic with, with all the kids um, and your sister? You know, the dynamic was interesting because when you've got, my mom used to always joke, she had the 50% for everything, like 50% of marriages that with a kid with disabilities end up in divorce and 50% of marriages where they marry young divorce and 50% of marriages with more than this many kids divorce. She's like, I got all of them and we're still together and they are still together, my parents, which is amazing. Um, but, you know, my, my mom and dad were married at 
16 and 19 had me at 18. So like you said, there's a lot to unpack with my family dynamics. But um, as kids, I think we were just all very close because there was a lot going on. And it was when you move that much, you, your family becomes your best friend. So we were all, I would, I would classify it actually more as best frenemies mm. <laughs> in the sibling environment, you know, where you're the best friends or uh, like we joke. And again, there's a, my siblings are amazing. Um, but we joke because I didn't know what I was doing. I was the oldest of seven. And so I remember one time distinctly, I was probably 10 years old and my parents escaped to this restaurant behind escaped. us. Like literally you could, yeah, they escaped. No, escape. that was an that escape. That is hilarious. They didn't go on a date. They escaped <laughs> to a restaurant. They escaped. <laughs> and this restaurant, you could see our house from the back window. So they okay. felt like, you know, they could leave me with the kids for that half hour, 45 minutes and escape. <laughs> really is an escape and I remember one of my sisters acted up and I didn't know what to do with her and it, all I'm all I know for sure is at the end of it she was tied up I don't know really <laughs> I don't really know how it got there but we joke about it a lot yeah Bridget was such a good babysitter she tied us up you know but <laughs> I remember I just didn't know how to handle it it's a lot of kids I don't know so, it's a lot of kids. I don't know how my mom did it every day. Sure, sure. All right. But, but you know, right? So there's music in my family. We're very musical. Everyone plays an instrument of some kind. My mom was a piano teacher. So there was a lot of fashion shows. And, you know, we'd take my dad's video camera and turn on music because he was a DJ. We got very musical. And we take the newest songs on the radio that he had in CD because that was how he got them and, you know, make music videos. And so it was a lot of chaos and a lot of fun because we moved so much. We really did become each other's best friends. Yeah. You really don't um, have anybody yeah. else when you're moving that much. Nope. Nope. That's, that's it. And my, and when we would fight, my mom, she did all sorts of things. She made us, you know, go in the t-shirt together, those huge t-shirts. Have you seen yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, I have seen she that. She did that. She would make us sit on the couch and like hold hands and sing songs together, like all sorts of things, trying to promote, like, you guys love each other. You're each other's best friends. And long-term, it actually works because, I mean, I have two companies and one of them is with my sister and she's my best friend. And my other sister, when she comes into town, it literally is a party every time. Her little, her cute little boy always says, it's party time. We're at Boo's house. That's what they call me. So, you know, it, they really are still my best friend. So it was chaotic but good that's wonderful that's really amazing so I feel like I'm listening to a story of a tv show um you know <laughs> uh, you guys are like the partridge family or something but that's that's really 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 awesome and so then did now okay so you're the oldest and then your sister was born right after you so I mean that was just your life mm -hmm. always it wasn't like you had a before mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that you remember, and then your sister was born. So, so she, you know, just right along with everybody else um, in her chair and not, you know, not different than anyone else. And, and all of that is what it sounds like. Yeah. So Aubrey, um, Aubrey has passed away seven years ago, um, just this December, January, actually, but um, Aubrey was feisty she was deaf and you know couldn't um couldn't talk between the cp and being deaf it made her very hard but mentally she was not disabled in any way and so aubrey was feisty and she would army crawl and be she wanted to be in the middle of it like my dad again was a dj he would play loud music and she could feel that beat you know in the yes. floor and everything around her and so she loved music loud music Aubrey would steal my mom's keys out of her purse and like army crawl to the door. Like I'm getting out of here. You guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, she would purposely, when she was older, she had a wheelchair and she would wheel herself over with the one arm. She had one hand that worked a little better. You know, her muscles weren't as tight and she would wheel herself over to the kitchen and empty every drawer. And then when my mom made us pick it up, she would laugh the whole time. Thought oh. it was hilarious. <laughs> Oh my gosh, she, she, she was totally, a, it up, she was totally a big sister. <laughs> I mean, not to you, but to all the rest of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. That's so, hilarious. You know, Aubrey was, 
Aubrey's hilarious. And when we take her to Disneyland, you know, you, they used to be really easy going with it. They're a little more um, strict now, but because she was in a wheelchair, we got to the front of everything and we could just go again and again and again. And she would laugh on the roller coasters and cry on the carousel. She, she oh. loved adventure. Yeah. Give just love, love adventure. It's just going in a circle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she hated it. It's like, no, thank you. This is not for me. So Aubrey, um, with her limitations, lived life the fullest. And I think because she was so full of life, when it made us all protective of her. So, you know, when you go to the mall and you take seven kids and a wheelchair-bound kid, there isn't a person that's not staring at you and wondering what the heck is happening here, you know? Mm-hmm. Even and, if one um, wasn't in a wheelchair, you'd been stared at. Right? So we got really protective of her because in our minds, they weren't staring at us. They were staring at her. Right. And, you know, she's our Aubrey and she's feisty and she's fun. And we understand what she needs, even if the rest of the world does not. And so, you know, we're, I think Aubrey couldn't participate in everything, but as siblings, we felt this responsibility to allow, we wanted her, or I know I, especially, I guess I can't speak for my other siblings. I wanted her to have everything that every other child had. She was me and Aubrey. I'm getting chills all over talking about it. Um, I think our relationship was more like twins. I knew what she needed. I knew when she was sad, when she was angry. And I, Aubrey and I, I just didn't ever want her to feel less than or different if she didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I was such a nerd. I would dress us in the same clothes. I remember if the kids would go swimming, I would stay in with her because she couldn't always without an adult holding her. Aubrey was was and continues to be the biggest influence in my life. Mm. She's a very special human. I'm really sorry for your loss of her. I know that it's been seven years and I lost my sister almost five years ago now. And it's not, it's not very long. People might hear seven years and think that that was a long time ago. And I understand that it's really not when you um, lost a piece of yourself, especially as you definitely mm-hmm. and that's what it felt like when she passed away I had like had a hole that I could not yeah. and I remember for months and months thinking oh my gosh will this hole ever even just scab over it hurts so bad and it's so big and and is that even possible with a wound that is so big so mm-hmm. seven years does not feel like very long but I am thankful to be on the side of it and I don't cry about it all the time I mm-hmm. am more moved to that phase of just really honoring who she is and was and how she impacted my life. Mm-hmm. My mom and I talked about it. And for both of us, um, after my sister passed, it wasn't until the third year later, mm-hmm. you know, that things finally sort of started to feel okay, you know, um, mm-hmm. like you described of like, am I ever going to feel better? And, and is this ever going to hurt less and that sort of thing. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's important for people to understand because grief just isn't talked about in our society very much. People don't know what to say. People don't know what to do or how to handle it. And everybody grieves differently. So that makes it hard too. Um, But it takes a really long time. It takes years. I mean, it takes years and you never will get over that loss. You know, we'll always miss our sisters, right? How was parenting different or the same between um, your siblings and and Aubrey? It was very different, I think, um, because none of us had any needs that were obvious, I think. We're a pretty typical crowd of rowdy children, Um, but Aubrey had over 30 surgeries. Aubrey had her spine fused from the top all the way down to the bottom because she had a scoliosis. You know, Aubrey had hip surgery multiple times where it was the full cast from her ribs down and that and diapers and on and on and on is a hot mess, right? And scary. They never quite knew how she would react to things. Aubrey had a, a, you know, say it were a baclofen, I think that's the right pump, you know, for her. Yeah. Um, for her epilepsy. I always get the first word. I say it weird. <laughs> anyway, pump that they had to take out, take in. And, 
and it was wrong and then not right and then too much too little you know it was always a thing there she had screws in I remember and she was so thin she had screws on various places in her hips and her back and you could see them mm. and I mean Aubrey was my same size we were just 17 months apart she's a little skinnier especially in the teenage years but um you know we lifted her and took care of we be, we became Aubrey's caretakers we didn't especially as kids fought my mom my poor mom we fought her we did not want Aubrey to leave the house ever so we would lift her we would bathe her we took care of her as a caretaker role would I remember growing up me and my mom had seven kids so I if she was at the hospital with Aubrey I was home taking care of all the kids making the dinners getting them to school getting them to church we're lucky in in Montana I could drive at 14 so at 14 I'm hustling my kids my kids I felt like at that point right to and from school and doing different things. Um, at that point, Aubrey was at a school that was further away. And so if my mom went to see her, she went to see her. She had to, she had, it was a couple hours drive. And so she'd go out and stay there for a few days and do all the meetings with the teachers and make sure the care center was taking care of her. And because that was the only option for where my dad was working and where she could get the services she needed. It was wow. like two and a half hours away. So, you know, my mom would leave and take care of her and my dad traveled. So there were times in high school where I literally was taking care of the kids in every way. Remember <laughs> once the power went out, we're in rural Montana. The power went out, it was a big storm, the power line went down, which means if you live in a rural place, that also means your water pump is down. So yeah. no water, no electricity, and all these kids. <laughs> you know, so it was pretty crazy. We're using our water food storage that we thankfully had and like using it to flush the toilets and we ended up at a friend's house. <laughs> And my mom came back. She was mad. She was like, why did you go to your friend's house and impose all your siblings on this <laughs> person? I was, six like of you. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I was 15. I thought I, I didn't know what else to do, mom. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is before cell phones were a big thing. It's not like, so yeah, uh, yeah there was a, yeah. So there was, it was different, you know, it, it's a different life when we decided when the decision and my parents did make a lot of decisions obviously without us but they also did a lot of family decisions and so when it came to that Aubrey was big enough that no one could take care of her physically um, it it was decided to put her in a care center home and so I'm the one who drove with my mom and went to all of those home centers and interviewed the people and looked at where she'd be staying I remember one night after some really hard, not a lot of those facilities, or at least back then, I feel like things are getting a little better, but I could be wrong. They're not good. They're, they're institutions where they're not, it's not a quality life. And so thinking of putting our precious beloved sister and her daughter in these places was heartbreaking. And so I remember holding my mom one night as she just cried and cried and said, I don't know what to do. And I'm the daughter trying to comfort the mom. And that was a hard moment, you know, trying to be, make those decisions with and almost for, it felt like. And I don't know that my mom, my mom's amazing, right? She, like you said, seven kids and a disability. Like, she's incredible. She, she's been through a lot. But it was a weird moment when those roles reverse often. And I think that's what happens with kids with disabilities a lot of times in their family dynamics is that role reverses and that doesn't um, as a parent I'm a parent now with a kid with disabilities I know when that role reversal happens sometimes it's a relief but as the child that's experienced it the burden that goes on the child is uh, um, leaves lasting impressions and scars sometimes for their life I think for sure and you're you know you're situation is so unique because there were so many kids in your family. I think that that alone also lends itself to a lot of these types of characteristics in families who have a lot of kids like that, where the oldest kids often Mm -hmm. care for younger ones um, because there are just so many. (laughs) That's just how it works. (laughs) You know, there's just so many kids. Yep. Um, So what what was it like, do you think, or do you know, for your other siblings who were a lot younger? Clearly, they didn't have the relationship that you had with Aubrey. You were so tight. Um, how was that different? Or what was the difference even between, I mean, obviously, you can't necessarily speak for them if they haven't said, but what was it like 
for you, how, how much younger, okay, so you said your youngest one is now 21, mm-hmm. right? So, how, and then how old are you? How, what's the age difference between you and the youngest? I'll be 38 next month. That's the thing I don't usually tell people. Baby child, you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got like 17 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and I have, this is funny, I have a 17-year-old. Yeah. Um, because I have her at 21, and so her and my sister are closer in age than me and my sister by a lot. Right, so, by a lot, lot. Yeah. Yeah. So uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Do, do they live in the same geographical area or, or do your parents? They do. And they've been very close at different times in their life. And a lot of times I would take my little sister with me and my kids and people would ask, you know, when she was younger, is this your kid too? And I'm like, do I look old enough to have one that's old? Thank you. <laughs> but um, no, but you, do. <laughs> you do have one of those. But apparently I did. So, you know, it was a, it, yeah. yeah, we and always like to. such a fascinating dynamic when you have large families. Right. Um, my uncle has eight kids. And so I often see those kinds of things in their families. I always, I always thought it was fascinating. Yeah. My cousins, <laughs> I'm just one of three, so I could not relate at all. So if, if you don't mind me asking, what was it that um, caused Aubrey to pass away? Just her cerebral palsy or something else? Yeah. So, I mean, and you want to talk about interesting things with kids with disabilities that uh, people would always say, oh, but she won't live long. I'm like, why would you say that to her sibling? I, I never understood that. So if anyone listening has heard that, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry, because I was surprised at how often people would say things like that. But um, Aubrey, it was Christmas. It was the first Christmas that my parents decided not to bring her home just because the care of her became so intense. And they just didn't know if they could safely do it. And it was really, you know, like devastating for all of us. So we're at Christmas dinner, literally Christmas dinner. And my mom gets a phone call that Aubrey's being taken to the hospital um, because she asphyxiated and they think a piece of food got where it shouldn't have been. And so they think she had pneumonia. They weren't sure, but they were taking her in. So my mom got up from Christmas dinner and said, I'm going to be with Aubrey. And so she found a flight that day and left. And it was a couple days later that my mom called and said, guys, they're taking her to the ICU. This is not looking good. She had had a scare the previous year with something similar. Um, And so we were, you know, very on edge already about it. And she hadn't been there for Christmas. And so we went and two weeks later, her body just declined. It it just was too much. And so two weeks later, she passed away. It was that moment, those two weeks, many, many moments, right? I, when I got there, I remember leaving in the middle of the night and I, uh, man, you're determined to make me cry today. Um, <laughs> I remember getting there and be, knowing that I wouldn't be leaving her side and understanding almost, I think we all kind of knew that this is what was happening. So two, you know, almost two weeks, a week, just over a week um, of being with her. I remember getting there and knowing I wouldn't would leave her and driving all night long with my brother and us talking about what if, what does this mean? How do, how do you live without a piece of you, you know? And we all view each other like that. Like we're this complex puzzle and with the piece missing, it doesn't look the same. And um, how is that going to be? And how can we do this? And what will this look like? But I sat there with her and her body shut down. And when your body starts to shut down, it is not pretty. And so not only was I there with someone who was a piece of my heart, but it was, it was not pretty. It was nightmare movie moments. And I had nightmares for years after that because of the things I saw and things I heard, even if I turned my back and not be able to see because it was too much. Um, so yeah, it was, it's pneumonia, something so silly, so simple, but it, it took her out. Her body could fight that and do all the other battles it was doing every single day. It just couldn't. Yeah. I'm sorry that you had to endure that because I know what it's like too. Um, so I've been talking to people about this, um, this notion of the glass child. And the mm-hmm. glass child is a term apparently, I've just heard about it in the last year or so, but apparently given to siblings of kids with special needs. And it's because they feel invisible or see-through, I guess not because they're fragile, um, mm-hmm. I think to the contrary, for sure. 
But, and again, your, your story is so unique due to the number of children in your family, but what does that, what does hearing that feel like to you? Do you identify at all with that? Or do you, what does that mean? What does that sound like to you? So it's, it's interesting before this podcast, you had kind of given this idea to me and um, even sent me some articles. Thank you on that. And honestly, they were really emotional to read because I have this innate need to serve and to do all, to be the good girl, to, you know, and I didn't realize, and I've been to a lot of counseling. <laughs> I didn't realize where some of that was coming from, honestly, until you shared this concept with me. So thank you. Right. Um, but yeah, the glass child, the, the see-through for the greater good, because that's kind of how it feels like in a family. And I don't think it matters the size is you've got this need and you've got to stabilize the family, whatever the family dynamic is. And so that is the, that is the greater good. That is the greater cause that, you know, you do what you got to do. And again, I see it. It was emotional for me to read this concept a, because I identify so clearly with that. I had people say to me, Bridget, you're the oldest. You're the one you've got to be the good girl. Do not mess up. Do not cause your mama problems. She's got too much. She's got too much on her plate. You know, Bridget, you got to help get those kids to bed. You got to vacuum the house. Bridget, help with dinner. Bridget, because they knew that my mom needed the help and I was the help. I was, you know, and my siblings definitely, I'm sure, experienced some of that. I'm not them. I don't know. But I mean, yeah, Bridget, you've got to be this person because she can't take more and you have to. Yeah. And so it was, it was like that. And, um, you know, in my life did begin and end with Aubrey because we're 18 months apart, right? And so I don't remember anything other than her and therapies and hospitals and and making sure that she was comfortable and happy and loved. And I viewed it as an honor and a privilege. But if I had not viewed it that way, I think I'd be a pretty hurt and broken person. Yeah. Um, because of that, because of that, that need. And, and I think in some ways I still probably am because I always still think I need to be the, the good girl, the perfect girl, the, if things aren't right, then I should have taken care of that, you know, because of so many years of that. So I definitely identify with the last child a hundred percent. I've lived that life and I didn't know it. I didn't, I didn't. And I, I'm really thankful to know this concept as a mother because I have two children with struggles and some would classify them as special needs because mental health. And then I have a son who's Asperger's and ADHD and, and um, ODD. So that's a mm -hmm. party in itself. It's a beautiful cocktail, <laughs> but I, I only have three kids and I realized my middle child is probably my last child and I didn't know it. Right. He's my kid who he's all good. And he wants so desperately to have his own job and be independent and be strong and not be a burden on anyone. And I went, oh my gosh, I have a glass child. Right. And right. I didn't know it. So, and so this is a new revelation for you, as you said, when mm -hmm. we shared the information with you before this interview. So how did that feel? How did all that feel? I don't like a lot for, as a mom, it, it, I, I don't allow myself really to, um, stay in pain or hard, I face it and then I move through it. I mean, I teach mindset for a living. I teach, mm -hmm. you know, authenticity and leadership for a living. That's what I do. So I feel it and then I go, okay, here's the feeling. What am I doing with it? And so, you know, I thought, okay, now I'm going to educate my husband. I'm going to educate my sisters. I'm going to speak. And now that I see this kid a little more clearly, I can serve him a little more clearly. Mm -hmm. So it felt yucky for like two seconds and now more of that determination of, okay, here's what we're going to do kicks in. And, so what, I, and I want to have, what are, you doing? what are you doing? What's different then since you see him a little bit? Well, I mean, this revelation was in the last 48 hours. So right. right okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> not even a week. All right. I'll let you slide. Yeah, not even what, a week. what are your thoughts on it then? What are your thoughts on how, how to do things? So what I'm what thinking, so it's interesting because I, I think as parents, we do know, right, on some level when our, our children are glass children, he's my middle kid. So he's already got that like middle child syndrome going on. And but he's turning 16. And he didn't want a birthday party. Didn't want one. Uh -uh, that's too much. I don't want I don't want a birthday party. I don't want that burden. You know, 
like I own a decorating company. So mom, I know that's how much work for you. And I don't want you to have to work for me and you know, all mm-hmm. these things. And I'm like, you know, buddy, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm doing it. And I can use it as marketing even better, buddy. You know, like <laughs> trying to like, help, tell them that part. You know, no, 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 mom, nobody don't, no, don't do that. And so I decided just to move forward with it anyway, because I knew he was my kid who needed that. So I think if we pay attention as parents, we get those little whispers or those little nudges that are like, mm, no, this is important. So I knew this was important for him, but mostly I want to sit down and have a talk with him and really understand how he feels, where he's coming from, what have been his experiences. I mean, he shares a room with his brother mm. has almost their whole life. So there's a lot more experiences he has than even beyond what I understand or experience. So you know, glass children, like, like for my son, one of the examples that I heard was, you know, a kid with Asperger's tends to be a little destructive, which my, my youngest is. And so his brother who shares a room with him, almost everything he's ever owned has been destroyed at some point or had a hole put in it or, or, or that's traumatic, you know? So being more aware of that and talking with him and getting him the right help, the counseling, which I, I think all kids need counseling in today's world, but yeah. you know, then those are the things I intend to do for him. Yes. World. Yes. I mean, it's a crazy hard world. And if you're dealing with any struggle at all, which I would think when we're all being honest, all of us are. Yeah. Counseling or a group you can talk to like yours yeah. or, you know, like a, a community that yeah. we all need like it. yours. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I got a community. You, do, you can come join do. me. We'll talk about that in a, in a little bit for sure. Um, so this is a fascinating conversation with you having this, this, I mean, such a multifaceted experience, really. I mean, it's not even two-sided. Mm-hmm. It's kind of three-sided, sort of. It's, it's, it's very unique. Um, and clearly, you've done a lot of work. Um, and, you know, like you said, I, I, you know, it sucked for two seconds, but then... I, you know, got my mindset shifted and I went forward with what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And that's tremendous. I mean, that's just so wonderful. And I'm so happy for you and your son. Um, but before that, even after your experience, and so clearly your kids knew Aubrey, she just passed away about seven years ago. And mm-hmm. so that is a more recent loss, but what, what, was loss like for you? You know, you just identified your own son's losses and all his stuff being destroyed his whole life. That that definitely is impactful on a child. Um, you know, what kind of loss did you feel growing up? I think just the big one for me, because I am a silver lining kind of a girl, is, is in my nature, I always look for literally if the whole sky is cloudy and there's this one tiny light I'm like look how beautiful the light is I mean it's just so cheesy like that and how I just I I think that's probably born from constantly going through um chaos my childhood was chaotic as wonderful as it was and needing to see the good in the chaos like this desperate need right we want to hold on to hope and when we don't it's uh, I mean I have been lost and found myself a hundred times and been through depression and anxiety more times than I would, I like to admit, I often admit it because it's part of my work, but um, like, so I, I like to do the silver lining, but I think the loss that I often felt um, was just the attention and this, that I was never enough. I always say, I don't struggle with a victim mentality except for this one place. And this comes into play with what you're asking. I feel like it's just never enough. No matter what I give, no matter how hard I work or hustle or love, it's never enough. It's never good enough. And that came from just the thing. I could never love Aubrey enough that she was going to just heal. I could never have my chaotic siblings healthy enough that my mom was just going to magically be better when she was struggling. I could, there was nothing I could ever do that was fully enough to make things ideal and and ideal, whatever that was, you know, as a child. And it's carried through even into adulthood where every, whenever something hits me, I do struggle with that almost immediately. I'm never enough. I just can't do enough. You know, and so I think that was probably the thing, the biggest struggle for me as a child, because 
I drove, I learned to drive at 14 on a 15 passenger van because that's what you have when you have a kid in a wheelchair, right? Like that's what you have. Now that could have been highly embarrassing, but again, I'm a silver lining girl. So I was like, Hey guys, look at me. And rolled out my window. Yeah. So yeah, everybody get in. So, you know, again, could have, I think I could have had a lot of weird losses, but I'm a, I'm a goofy personality, so I was just rolling with it. You know, I dressed up as Elsa for two years. I'm goofy, but um, you're a light. You're I, not goofy. You are a light. <laughs> well, thank you. You shine but, um, very You know, I think that was. <laughs> thank you, but that was, I think, the biggest loss is I could just never be enough. Mm-hmm. You know, never be enough for that, and I don't think my mom ever intentionally said that. But I think sometimes as a mom, as she was trying to you know, manage all of this stuff, it was often like, Brigitte, why didn't you do this? Or Brigitte, why are you here? You know, and so I think that that is it. That's yeah. the struggle. But never enough. That I mean, completely understandable, completely understandable how it happened. As you said, you can see now how how that easily just occurred and not uh, by any means intentional from your mom, of course. And, and so then though you feel that carried through your whole life. Mm-hmm. And so now this is a great segue to tell us what you do because you actively work against those defeating thoughts and those limiting beliefs of not being good enough, not only for yourself, but for everyone. So tell us about mm-hmm. what you do. So I think um, I would like to, what I do has everything to do still with Aubrey. When she passed away, I was at her side. And I think I've shared the story with you before, but not your audience. So I was at her side and I felt this strong impression that I should, that I had promised her I would be there. And I don't know, maybe I promised her in my heart. I don't, I can't even tell you how that promise happened but that I had promised her that I would be here for her in that moment. And this was not a moment for me to step out of the room or leave, but I need to be by her side and see her through this process. And that was hard, obviously. So she was scared. She didn't want to die. She didn't want to leave us. And I mean, I don't know. I have not been through this with a lot of people. I don't think most of us have. So I'm sitting there and I'm holding her hand and she's scared and I can tell and she's uncomfortable physically. And I just started to say to her, Aubrey, you are strong and you are capable and you can do this and it's okay to let go. And I just repeated that to her again and again. And it was me and another sister flanking her side and we just rub her arms and love her. And it's okay to let go. We love you. We will miss you, but you are strong and capable and it's okay to let go. And you could see the second she did that, right? And she passed away. Hardest moment of my life. And after she left, like we've talked about, there was a hole in my heart so deep that it would bring me to my knees often, like not to my knees praying. I I am a woman of faith, but to my knees, I can't stand. I hurt so bad. And you know, of course, a lot of prayer and things. And while I am a woman of faith, my heart hurt so bad that there was no faith, honestly. It was like, I don't know what I believe at this point. I don't know if I believe in anything. And I have three children, but I don't even know if I care. I have a wonderful husband. I don't know if I care. Like, I just hurt so bad that none of the good mattered. That whole, you know, when you're hurting, just look for someone who's hurting worse. No, that doesn't work. That's stupid. Yeah. That just makes you feel worse about yourself. Yeah, that's from people who don't understand depression. You say things like that. <laughs> right? So I'm in, I am in the throes of a deep depression here. And that, that is not, a, that's not the, the tool that works for that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I am, you know, I remember one day, after months of just hurting and just really truly saying, I don't think it's worth it. I really don't. I would rather be with her wherever that looks like on the other side of this. I just don't know if this is worth it. And to boot, I was sitting in church. So, you know, whoever's a church person, here I am like the worst human because I'm in church where I should be like spiritual or whatever. And I'm 
thinking it's not worth it anymore. And as soon as I had that thought, and I meant it in my heart, I meant it a hundred percent. I felt so strongly, Aubrey. It was like her hands are on my shoulders and she says, Bridget, you are strong and capable and you can do this. Get up and go to work. And she said it three times. I heard it three times. And from that moment, I knew that I had to live and I didn't have to live. I had to continue her work, which was to lift others. And so I started an Instagram, a little Instagram talking. It was originally called Now What? Because it was like, what do you do in these moments? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then it transferred to the strong and capable um, because that was the message. You are strong and capable and you can do this. That kept coming back and coming back. And um, so I share her story. But in my community, we talk about what is it to be strong and capable? How do you live authentically? How do you work with your mindset? How do you, I, I believe we're all leaders. And the best way we can lead is by fully being ourselves and working on that mindset. And so we work, we talk about leadership and uh, I do that through my Instagram. I do that through my podcast, the strong and capable. And I have a community that I launched in February called the awake community. And these are for people who are living awake because so much of the world is just letting life happen to them. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that's how we live our fullest life. And so the awake community It's where we talk about mindset. We talk about leadership. We live authentically. We're talking this week about personalities. And we're talking about when you walk into a room, how do you feel as soon as you walk into a room, right? Like, do you feel intimidated? Do you feel like I own this room? How, what is your initial response? And my awake community, I can tell you this little group of beautiful humans, every single one of them raised their hand and said they felt uncomfortable walking into a room. Mm -hmm. And that struck me because, a, I think most of us feel that way, but B, these, these women, because they're all women right now, are living authentically enough that they could say, yeah, I'm not comfortable. Not many people are that brave. So anyway, I'm proud of my little community because they are brave, brave warriors that uh, want to live life, real life, authentically and fully into who they are. So that's what I do now. I love it. That is amazing. And I, and I actually hadn't heard that story before of the, you know, how you named your business, the strong and capable, um, that story Mm -hmm. of you and Aubrey's experience. And I, um, having experienced, uh, spirit myself, um, 100% believe that she did tell you that from the other side. And um, that's really a beautiful, beautiful story. And now I just love your your business even more. And I already adored <laughs> you. So, I mean, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that, that's who we are. And, you know, I've had people say to me, Bridget, like you said, you're a light. And then I had someone say to me once, um, she said, you're a light, but it's not your light. It's you plus your sisters and it shines double. Mm. And I, like I I hold that all the time because when I'm talking about her, when I'm talking about being strong and capable and really encouraging people, I feel it. I feel her. I know this work is her work too. And she did it on this side of the life and she's still doing it through me, I think now, but she was, there was not someone who didn't know her, who didn't love her because she was sassy and funny. And I mean, if you really knew her at all, she had the biggest personality she hated, you know, like I said, the, she hated the, um, merry-go-round thing but she also loved Dr. Pepper and cheese with like she had so much personality she was so big and you just couldn't be around her without knowing that you you yourself had a purpose in life because this person who by the world standards had nothing right couldn't move couldn't talk couldn't anything they had a purpose and if they did you must you know and you could be that thing that made a difference for someone else because she did it so she was the ultimate example of living life to the fullest, no matter what your limitations are. Oh, I'm, my heart is filled so much. Thank you for that. And I couldn't agree more. I thoroughly and 100% believe that um, my daughter and all of those others like her, including your sister, are 100% here to teach us many lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've learned so many of the same type of things from my daughter that you have learned from your sister and it's it's it takes it definitely takes some time um, Mm -hmm. as a human to get to that place you know where you've 
dealt through so much grief and so much pain and so much loss and so much to-do lists. I mean, just, you know, Mm -hmm. the therapies and the doctors and everything that has to be done. But when you can finally get to a place where you can breathe a little easier and you can step back and you can look at things in a, in a bigger way, it's very obvious that that is their purpose on this earth. Yes. And can I share just, I, I, I want to respect your time, but as a mom with a kid with severe needs, um, we had a pretty good meltdown a couple weeks ago. And that happens with kids on the spectrum. It, like it does, it's part of it. And navigating it as a mom is, you know, I, I worked in a school environment. It was easier to navigate those kids because I wasn't so attached to them the same way I am to my own kids. So, you, you know, you're dealing with the, the shame or the fear or the expectations you thought being shattered of the life they would live. It's shattered in this moment. You know, as a mom, you're dealing with all these emotions as, as they're melting down and on top of trying to help them. So this was a really rough night. We ended up at, at midnight. Everyone in the family's yelling. Everyone's crying. It's not pretty because everyone was trying to help at this point because one, you know, I wasn't able to help him. His dad wasn't able to help him. Then the kids thought they should step in. And now we're telling the kids not to be involved because we don't want this. And it's right. like becomes a whole thing. Right. So we end up at midnight with him finally saying, everybody stop. We're going to all talk at once. And nobody can say anything well, that person's talking and he's 12. It's so cute. So he marches us downstairs and he gives us a chopstick and this is our talking stick. <laughs> and we end up till one in the morning, everyone just spilling their guts about, and it's everything from, you know, my one daughter accused him of you, you steal my Oreos every time I buy them, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's all there. It's all coming out. And my husband and I ended up staying up late trying to celebrate, okay, what was the good that came out of this? Well, one of the good things was that my daughter so is OCD and PTSD, she's been through a lot of therapy. And so she didn't have a meltdown. Normally that would have been like the trigger for it all. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, guys, y'all, I've had a lot of therapy and let me tell you, <laughs> that was a celebration. We're celebrating this. So we're a hot mess, right? <laughs> so the hellers are a hot mess and I'm not, uh, I'll admit it any day of the week, like we're not perfect. But the next morning as a mom, I woke up, I would say broken. I mean, I just woke up. So this is all good. And I can see that now, even a week later. But in the moment, I woke up just broken. All these dreams I had, this family I envisioned, those mom I thought I would be, none of this apparently exists in my life. And I am sobbing. And I'm sobbing. And I'm just like, I've ruined it. I've just, they're almost out of the house. And I have failed miserably. I have not you know, am I perpetuating old things from when I was a child? Like what? I, I haven't broken any cycles. My kids are going to be a hot mess. Will they even succeed? I'm just down the rabbit hole of, mm-hmm. you know, Grief. all the, all the shame, all the fears, you know, we get there. And so I'm just here. And again, faith is a part of my life. So I'm praying. I'm like, I'm just, I've screwed it up, Lord. I am just, I don't know. I mean, is there someone better for this job? Cause I am really bad at this. And I know now that that was just me in that spinning place, right? Again, I do mindset work, so I have to work it out. <laughs> but in that moment, I heard the words, Rajette, maybe this is my sister again, I don't know. Rajette, you love glitter. You love it. And it is the most broken thing of any other substance on earth. And I, oh my gosh, that's such a cheesy thing. And this is how I know it's divine because it was like way beyond my, <laughs> totally my experience. Language. Yeah, but it's speaking my language in almost a humorous way. And, you know, glitter, I really do love, like everything, anyone who knows me, I'm, I, I love glitter. I have glitter. She's very sparkly, everybody. <laughs> I am very sparkly all the time. But I explained to someone in a podcast interview the other day, I don't love glitter because I like it. I mean, stuff's a pain in the butt. It gets everywhere. You, you know, you're vacuuming it forever. What I love about glitter is the light. I like the light that it reflects and that it shines. And pure gold as beautiful as it is and as um, valuable as it is, does not shine the way that cheap glitter does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I love light. I love light. And that's what I think for those of us moms who feel so incredibly broken, we just have to remember that our brokenness allows us to shine brighter than even something that is perfectly made. 100%. So. 
100%. I mean, that is so spot on and so beautiful. And I love, um, you know, having you on and you sharing your story and us all coming together and sharing our stories and vulnerability. um, Because this is so real, these meltdowns, these family Mm -hmm. crises moments, they're so real for us. They're so real for us. And we have to talk about it. And we have to talk about that grief. I mean, that grief that you felt the next day, like mm-hmm. I have failed, I have failed these children, I failed myself, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that is grief talking, that is grief, that is the loss of a quote, unquote, normal family, a quote, unquote, mm-hmm. normal childhood yourself, a quote, unquote, normal you know, child and that you have, and you know, just all the things that people in society make us feel like have to be the right thing. Um, I mean, nobody really has that. And we think that people do. We think that people do mm-hmm. if they don't have a child with special needs. Um, and, I, and I do have to say, I call them muggles. I call them muggles when they don't have a child with special needs. Um, because Bridget, <laughs> you and I are the, the witches and wizards of of parenting because we pull all kinds of magic from our hats all the time to make I will take it so um so you know we we can look at muggle families and and think that they've got it all together but they don't either and so it's it's Mm -hmm. so important that we all just be real and honest and talk about this stuff and talk about the grief and talk about the hard and talk about oh my gosh, my kid has been through so much therapy. And so now she was able to achieve this. That is amazing. I'm so happy. Amazing, right? (laughs) Right? No, the major celebration that night for that. That (laughs) A lot of money that went into that. For sure. Like so amazing. And you, you know, being raw and honest to talk about how you worked through those feelings of grief and, you know, and you're, you're only, a short time out from that incident, but you're starting to see it a little more clearly. And, um, you know, the, the children are here to teach us. They're here to lead us. So thank you, my dear friend, for talking with me today. And where can people find you? Uh, a strong and capable? Um, if people want to find me, there was a loud truck that drove by. So I think that's what you asked. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> right? Where do we find you? Do you have a website? What's your social, social media handles? Where do we find you? Okay. So I'm easy to find www.thestrongandcapable.com. And there's links to all the things, you know, my podcast, my Instagram on that, but on Instagram, which is my favorite place to hang out. It's just Bridget, B-R-I-G-E-T-T-E dot Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. Um, and then my Facebook page is the strong and capable. It's a free Facebook page. And from there, you would be able to find all the other things too. Awesome. And I'll put the links to all of those things in the show notes as well, so that people can find you and join your Facebook group. Definitely listen to your podcast because you're just full of love and light and inspiration. And we can all get more of that for sure. I think, I don't think you never have too much glitter too much light (laughs) (laughs) and glitter she also throws in a lot of sparkle everybody okay yes always (laughs) thank you thank you for having me thank you for being here if you want to learn more about how to take care of yourself along your parenting journey or how you can better support those special needs parents in your life you can follow me on social media lara kitts on facebook Lara.kits on Instagram. And that is spelled L-A-R-A-K-I-T-T-S. I also have a blog on my website that's worth subscribing to. Check it out at larakits.com. Until next time, take care of yourself.